Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff Spirit Yavashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. The Pirkei Avos Podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Check us out on intentionaljew.com. Okay, we have a great, great Mishnah today, which they're all great, but um, but really very, I think a very important, um, very important point, and and then really uncovering something, I think that's uh, that's critical. Okay, the Mishnah says as follows. The Mishnah says that. Rabbi Shimon Oimer, Rabbi Shimon says, now right away we need to identify, and this will be a, a good part of our discussion, but um, Rabbi Shimon is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. The famous Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai who spent 13 years in the cave, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So says Rabbi Shimon, if three people eat on one table, and they didn't speak words of Torah, so then, it is if they ate from Zivchei Mesim, they ate from the offerings of the dead. As it says, Shenemar, in quoting a verse from Isaiah, Ki chol maluki makim, that um, all of the, uh, the tables are filled with filth and, and, and dirt without God. But three people that ate on the same table, and they said words of Torah, as if they ate from the place of Makom Baruch Hu, referring to God. As it says, as it says, and, and he spoke to me, that this is the table that is in front of God. Okay, the, the, every piece of this Mishnah, as, as usual, every piece of this Mishnah is really um, problematic. But just look at the overall of the Mishnah. Didn't we just learn this in essence? Didn't we just learn in Mishnah number two that said that, that if there are two people that are sitting and there's not divrei Torah between them, so then the divine presence is not between them, they're sitting in a Moshe of Leitzim in a, a gathering of scorners, what, what, is, what, what do you have to go to three for now and tell me the three people that are eating that don't have God between them, don't have words of Torah between them, so as if they're eating from Zivchem Mason, from the, the, the offerings of the dead. It would seem that that's really included in the previous Mishnah. What new is being taught to me over here? That's problem number one. Problem number two is, is that what's the ethical lesson to be taught here? Now, this is really teaching me a practice. When you gather three people together, don't waste your time. Talk about something valuable. Okay, so, you know, you give me an instruction. I, I, open, up, I open up Hilchos meals, right? The, the, laws of, the laws of Jewish meals. And I look, you know, chapter three, law number three. And it says that when thou eatest with other people, you know, thou shalt not waste thine time. Okay, you know, very nice. So you gave me an instruction. This is the way I eat eats. Yid talks Torah when he eats. Okay, shkayach. 
like a nice piece of advice. But, but it's, not, it's not an ethical lesson. What's the ethical lesson? Remember, we've spoken about this and we'll continue to speak about this until the end of Prikyavos. That I was just telling you with somebody recently that if it's in Prikyavos, you read it and you think you understand it, you know for sure that's not what it's saying. Because if it was, then it wouldn't be there. You don't need a, you don't need a rabbi to teach you something that's obvious. We need them, the, the, the sages were teaching us things that are not obvious. What's the message that's not obvious in that halacha of three people that sit together and there isn't words of Torah, it's like eating by a table of vomit and three people that are sitting together and have, the, the, and have Torah between them that's sitting like God's table. And, and vomit? Re- really? You know, it's like, I'm translating it, you know, the way it is. That's weird. Okay, so say like it's emptiness, it's not good, it's like, but why, why you vomit and eating and eating from, from offerings of idolatry? What kind of idolatry? Well, because we're talking about the baseball game, we're talking about Trump, so I'm going to get into trouble for that? Well, Trump, I can understand, but a baseball game? Come on, why would I get into trouble for that? What's the, what's the, what's the problem? You're calling me saying, it's not just that it's not as good as it could be. You're telling me that it's like eating at a table of, of, of vomit, of idolatry? I'm, I'm not understanding that. So I think to understand this, we need to understand first the background of Rabbi Shimba Yochai. This, the famous story of Rabbi Shimba Yochai, which I think we might have even spoken about once, but it's found on page 33b of Tractate Shabbos. And the reason why page 33 is significant is because Rabbi Shimba Yochai died on Lagba Emer. We all know that Lagba Emer is the yard side of Rabbi Shimba Yochai. That's the Meron thing where everybody goes and, and does their thing in Meron. Well, it's just fascinating that where is his story recorded in the Talmud on page 33? Lag Lamed Gimel. It's just, just interesting. Okay, and, and in Tractate Shabbos. Okay, not for now, but a fascinating idea. So the story of Rabbi Shem Yochai is Rabbi Shem Yochai. We all know the cave story, but there's a story. There are many stories of Rabbi Yochai, but the first story that we need to know of Rabbi Yochai is how he got into the cave. And the reason that he got to the cave is because there were three people sitting, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yaisi, and Rabbi Shimba Yochai, and they were talking about the Romans. And they were talking about what the, what the Roman Empire was and what they were doing in the land of Israel. There was a tremendous amount of building going on. There was a tremendous amount of, um, of, of really you know, improving the land on some level. And there were three opinions, whether it was a good thing, whether it was a bad thing, Rabbi Shimon Yochai was a virulent hater of the, um, of the, the Romans and felt that the, the Jews needed to be rid of the Romans in order to be able to run their country the way they needed to and to be able to relate to God the way they needed to. And he was a, a, a vocal, at this meeting, was a very vocal proponent of the negativity that he felt about what the Romans were doing. And he felt that any improvements that the Romans were making in the land of Israel were being made for Romans and were being made for, for, for illicit purposes. They were being made for, um, for prostitution and for, and for gambling and for all kinds of things, negative things, nothing to do with the Jews, nothing to do with Israel, nothing to do with helping, with helping the people. There was ulterior motives, and those ulterior motives canceled out everything positive. Well, one of the rabbis was talking to colleagues and mentioned this, he had colleagues also in Rome and in the Roman government. He mentioned to them that there were rabbis that were negative. They identified Rabbi Shimba Yochai innocently, but nevertheless, 
put his life in danger, and the Romans wanted to kill Rabbi Shem Bechai. Rabbi Shem Bechai was was um, forced to run out of the Beis Hamedrash. Um, he really was forced to leave Israel, but he refused to leave Israel. That's another discussion. And he found himself um, a place to hide. He hid with his son eventually in a cave. And there was a carob tree and a book of water that sustained him for the 12 years that he was in the cave. When they came out of the cave, so then they looked and they saw people that were pursuing worldly pursuits and they couldn't understand it. And everywhere they looked, they, they, it, was, it would appear to them that people were just engaged in Olamazen in this world. And they would burn, anywhere they gazed, they would burn up. Clearly a metaphor, but anywhere they gazed, they would burn up. So God put them back inside the cave for another year. When they came out after the other year, Rabbi Shimon, his son, Rabbi Lezer, hadn't really changed much. He still was very fiery, very he consumed everything he saw. But Rabbi Shimon now was able to look and to realize they saw a fellow that was running with two, with two bundles of myrtle. And they said to him, where are you going? He said, I'm going because it's almost Shabbos. And, and why are you carrying two bundles of myrtle? He says, one for Kavod Shabbos, one for Onik Shabbos, one because it says, Zohar Hashem Shabbos Lekacho, remember the Sabbath day, and one because it says, Shomer Hashem Shabbos, because it says, guard the Sabbath day. So he was using the physical world in order to be able to celebrate Shabbos, so that Rabbi Shimon was, was able to calm down. He was able to look at that and say, wait, it's not all bad. The physicality of this world can be used and utilized for something greater, can be utilized for spirituality. It happens to be that when, the, the, when he saw his son-in-law, so his son-in-law saw him and said, you know, he broke down crying because he saw the pockmarks and the, and the broken skin of his father-in-law. Because for those 13 years, what they did was they would bury themselves every day in sand and they would get out of this. So this way their, their bodies were covered and they would study Torah. And when they would pray, they would get out and put their clothes on because they had no idea how long they were going to be in the cave. And therefore they wanted to preserve the clothing that they had. And, um, and, and obviously that had a very detrimental effect on his skin. And he turned to his, uh, to his son-in-law and he said to him that you shouldn't feel bad seeing what you're seeing. His son-in-law exclaimed that, you know, it's so terrible that my eyes have to see your pain and suffering. He said, if you didn't see my pain and suffering, then you wouldn't also see the, the Torah that was produced. In other words, all this pain and suffering wasn't just for pain and suffering. It produced something incredible. The Tama goes on to describe the clarity that Rabbi Shimba Yochai had, besides the fact that we know that he, he authored the Zohar while he was in the cave, but he also came to a clarity of Jewish law that when his son-in-law, usually he would ask a question, his son-in-law would give uh, answers, and now he, when his son-in-law would ask a question, he would give double the amount of answers. And it was just, he had a, an incredible clarity coming out of that thing. Well, one of the incredible clarities that he had was is that he realized that if God made a miracle for him, then he needed to do something for others. When you, when you feel grateful, so you can just say thank you and then focus more on yourself, or you can realize that, you know what, the, the, the whole world is there to serve me. I now need to serve the world. And that's what he did. He, he looked in the town that he had, that he looked in the town to see what he could help them with um, in the town of Tiveria. And it happens to be in the town of Tiveria that was built by a cemetery. And he worked out a way to, in order to, and Kohanim couldn't live in the city because of that. He worked out a way to be able to identify and to contain the impurity so that Kohanim could come into the city and this way it could be a, um, a more rounded Jewish city. Be that as it may, this is the story of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. 
So there's many, many questions you can ask, but there's a very, very simple question that you have to ask on, the, on this story. He went in for 12 years. In 12 years, he became so holy that it became difficult for him to live in a physical world. His body had become, had, had become had deteriorated, and his, his reliance on physical existence, he lived on water and carobs. You know, I, I don't know how many of you went to Jewish day schools in America, but I can tell you that, it, and, and this could have been a, across the world, but I know for sure in Jewish day schools in America, the PTA always gave little bags on Tubishvat. And so there's, you know, bags of fruit that we can celebrate Tubishvat. And they always had buxer. They always had, you know, what we call buxer, which was carob. And I remember, I happen to have liked it, but I remember the smell. That would that would come from the in the in the classroom from all the kids sucking on this boxer. It was just it was just horrific. And, I, and even today, when I see you know a little dried carob, I go back to second grade. You know, and I'm sitting there with that plastic bag in front of me, traumatized forever because of the of the of the effects of this of this carob. And this is what Rabbi Shimon lived on for all these years. That's that's what sustained him. That's what he lived on. It was all about the carob. So, so Rabbi was holding in a different world. Why did God put him back for another year? You know, you take it out of the oven and it's not, it's not completely cooked. So you put it back in the oven because you want it to, to cook the same way. But wait a second. Rabbi Shemachai was overcooked. He was overcooked. He was, he was completely devoid of this world. What was putting him back inside going to do for him? It was only going to make it worse. It was going to burn him now. It was going to make it that he was never going to be able to be in the world. And yet it seemed to have worked, actually. He went back for another year and everything was fine. But why would you give him more of the same if that's what created this monster, so to speak, that everywhere he looked, he would burn up the world. And, and God said, you can't burn up my world. Go back inside. What do you mean? Go back inside. Get out of here. You know, take him out of the world. Let him die. Why did you put him back in the cave for another year? So I'll tell you an amazing thing. That being overly critical isn't always a product of having learned too much. Sometimes it's a product of having learned too little. And that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, God felt he needed a little more time learning. Because there was a basic Jewish principle that he needed to understand. And that what he needed to understand is that the physical world is a beautiful, amazing thing when it's used in the service of God. When we take physical things from every physical pleasure to every physical thing that exists to every material thing, and we cap it, we, we put it in the right context, it becomes something that can enhance our lives. When we talk about Gashmias and the danger of Gashmias, of, of physicality, materialism, we're not saying the material things are trafe. Materialism means that we're focused on the material and that that becomes it becomes the focus of our existence in our lives. It's all about the physical. And that's when it becomes dangerous. It becomes smothering. That's when a person just goes after their taivas. We learned this last week. 
when we talk about kinah, type of a kavod, jealousy, lust, and a desire for honor can take a person out of the world. When a person is focused on the material world only for the sake of the material world, there's a danger. But when a person understands that you can take the material world and you can use it to serve God, then it becomes magnificent. When God created the world, he, created a, he took a world where there was nothing. It was only spirit. It was only the Ruach Elikim. It was only the spirit of God. And God took that spirit and he materialized it and he turned it into the physical world. And then God turns to us and he says, now I want you to be my partner in creation. And I want you to take that, that physical world and I want you to bring it back to its spirit. And that's Shabbos. Shabbos is the completion of the cycle of creation. Because in six days I created, on the seventh day I rested and I gave it over to you to now take that spiritual world and to fit that physical world and to turn that into something spiritual, to take that chicken and that cholent, to be able to take those physical things that you, that, that you partake of on Shabbos and to, to elevate them, to put them in a context, in a context of enjoying and, 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 and having pleasure in God's world. In, in a context of being able to see God behind these things, to make a bracha beforehand, to make a bracha afterwards, to make kiddush, to sing songs, to, to, to be able to, to say divrei Torah, to elevate the physical into the spiritual, that's our job on Shabbos. And this, in fact, was our job with the Mikdash. In the Mikdash, God, again, it was a completion of the cycle of creation. God took a spiritual world and created a physical world, and we were told to take all the physical things in this world, take gold and silver, take beautiful material, take animals, use, take blood, which is, which is the, the, the essence of physical existence, and take that and now elevate that. Sprinkle it on an altar, say, say brachos, sing songs, do the things you're supposed to do, and now you take that physical world and you elevate it to the spiritual world. And that is the measure of the Jewish people. We do not separate physical and material. We elevate the physical world to the spiritual world. The quintessence of a relationship, the essence of a relationship, is not that a relationship that a husband and wife are separate from each other. The essence of a relationship is the union that takes place between a husband and wife, is the coming together in a physical way which ultimately is the ultimate connection between a man and a woman. Many, in many religions in the world, that is either looked at as being the only relationship or that is looked at as being the necessary evil, that if you have no choice, so then a couple needs to procreate, so therefore they need to come together. But it's nevertheless considered something that is, that, that is a danger, something that is negative, Judaism doesn't see it as something negative. The Torah sees it as something magnificent and beautiful. And this is true of every physical pleasure. There is nothing in every physical pleasure that God told us we could not participate in. He created something that would be similar to that pleasure that would allow us to be able to get the benefit of that. There were foods that he told us that we couldn't have. He said that we can't have milk and meat together. But he created a part of the animal's body that if we cook it together, the udder, when we cook the udder, so then we can taste what basa b'cholav is like. We can have that pleasure of milk and meat, though it's not milk and meat. God told us that there were certain animals that we couldn't eat. We couldn't eat a chazer. We couldn't eat a pig. There is a fish called a shibuto, which is similar in taste to that of pork. Every pleasure that God told us we couldn't have he, it was for a reason that we couldn't have it, but that he didn't want us to be devoid. He didn't want to be separated from that pleasure. 
And therefore, he gave us something permissible to be able to enjoy that. Even kinds of ways, that the, the Talmud talks about kinds of ways of, of a couple coming together. There were permissible ways to derive that, and say, that same kind of pleasure and benefit. Because at the end of the day, God wants us to take this world and to elevate it, not to separate ourselves from it. And we spoke about this, and, and we'll speak about this more. There are religions in the world, though, that see that the ultimate is the separation from the physical world. A priest in other, many other religions is someone who is celibate, someone who is separated from, 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 from a wife, never, who has never tasted that taste, who has never, never had that pleasure in his life, but that's considered on an elevated level. And for us, that's not considered an elevated level. That's considered a person who's empty, a person who's missing something. A non-Jew is allowed to send a sacrifice to the temple. Because Kibesi in my house is a house of prayer for all creations, creations, all creatures. However, when a non-Jew sends a sacrifice, he's only allowed to send a carbon ola, a burnt offering. Because a burnt offering reflects his understanding of sanctity and holiness. A burnt offering is where you take an animal and you burn the entire animal up to God. Nobody eats a thing and benefits a thing from the animal. The entire animal is consumed on the fire of the altar. That's what the, that's what the nations of the world understand how to serve God. That you, there is a spiritual way to serve God and there is a physical way. But they don't, they don't have an ability to be able to take the physical and then to be able to elevate it, to be able to take an animal, to slaughter it, to, to be able to, to cook it, and to be able to eat it in a sanctified way, to participate in that. They know how to make an offering to God, how to take the physical world and give it over completely to God, but not how to benefit themselves from the physical world and to elevate that into the spiritual world. And that's why they can't bring a carbon shlomim, a peace offering, or any of the other sacrifices that we would normally eat from, that either the priests would eat from, or the Jews would eat from, the, the bailim, the owners of the animal would eat from, because they have no clue how to integrate those two things. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, in all of his years inside of the cave, learned how to separate from this world. But what he didn't learn was how to integrate, was how to take the two myrtles and to utilize them to give sanctity to Shabbos. How to be able to take the physical world and to elevate that physical world in order to be able to sanctify God, in order to be able to serve God. And that the actual, the use of those myrtles, I'm using them as an example, but the smelling of those myrtles and the making a blessing on them, that was service of God. It wasn't pleasure to oneself, but that the pleasure itself was the service of God. That Rabbi Shimon Yochai needed more time to study because he needed another year to understand what the place of physical existence, of material existence is in our world. What Rabbi Shun Be'uchai understood by the end of his trek inside of that, of that cave was the incredible opportunity that a human being has when they are given material things in order to be able to take that blessing and to be able to use that material blessing in the service of God so that their entire life, not only their soul, but their body is being used in the employ of God. 
is being used to be an Eved Hashem, to be used to, to serve God. We don't stop eating food on Shabbos. We look at our food as a vehicle to be able to attach ourselves to God by seeing his many brachos, his many blessings that he has bestowed on us and, and given to our lives. Rabbi Shimon Be'echai needed to see the opportunity that was given to him when the material world was presented to him. Rabbi Shimon Be'echai understood very clearly at this point in his life, what happens when three people gather together and they use only one of the two eyes that they've been given. We're given two eyes. One eye to be critical, but one eye to be able to see the bracha, to be able to see the blessing and things. One eye to be able to see the surface, and one eye to be able to see the depth, and in the depth to be able to recognize the beauty. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was only able to use one of his eyes. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was only able to see the negativity of the Romans. But he wasn't able to look at it and to say that in all of this, though they're doing it for the wrong reasons, they're doing it for themselves, look at the blessing that God is bestowing on us. Look at the blessing that God is giving to us. Rabbi Shun Yochai understood what happens when three people get together and they miss an opportunity. Ein b'neim divrei Torah doesn't mean that not one of them is giving a shear. Ein b'neim divrei Torah, as we explained in the previous Mishnah, was three people get together and three people is called a group. Three people can do berchus hamazon. Rabbi Usain of Arech, three people constitute a set kavua, set a bezdin, a rabbinical court. Three people represent a group of people. The smallest number of a group. And when a group gathers together, and it gathers together, and ultimately it's negative, it's a negative message that comes from them. So then that chases away God. That's like Zivchei Mason. It's like idolatry. Idolatry chases away God. It sees something else in the world, not God running the world. And when you look at it and all you see is negative and you don't see the brach and you don't see the blessing, you've gathered together a group of people, you've gathered together three people and you've missed the point and missed the opportunity. That's emptiness. It's like sitting at a table that you can't go near because the table is ultimately God, but it's like filled with vomit that you can't get near it because you've blown an incredible opportunity to be able to see God even in the most simple material physical thing. And that's why Rabbi Shem Be'echai, who went through this experience of the cave, because there were three of them that sat together at a table and only saw negativity, and all he could see was what the Romans, Romans weren't doing, and they were doing it for a self-serving reason, and he couldn't look at it and say that perhaps this is the way God is bestowing incredible comfort and blessing on us. Because Rabbi Shem Be'echai blew that opportunity, that's why he was sensitive to it, and he was able to say this Mishnah. I think that ultimately what Rabbi Shem Bechai was telling us, it's not just keep your eyes open and see the blessing and the things you have, but don't blow opportunities. When three people are together, listen to each other. Because one of you is going to have a different, a different perspective. One of you is going to be able to shed light on what the other two are thinking. 
And if, and if one of you or two of you are thinking negative, one of you is going to be able to shed a little bit of positive light on that. Don't blow an opportunity to be able to look at the material world and to see God's blessing in the material world. And I think that that's the ethical lesson that Rabbi Shem Be'echai was teaching us. It wasn't about three people at a meal. It was about three people in life. When you gather together with a group, you could do so much. All your positive energy can go and create something so magnificent. You could give a blessing to God. Let's bless God together. And instead you use that for negativity. You use that for something negative. You see only the physical parts and not something special, the blessing of God. That's like sitting and, and worshiping idols because it's, it's throwing God out of the world. And that's what B'Shem B'Chai is teaching us. Don't blow golden opportunities to be able to see God's blessing here.